Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. It is another Fierce Female Friday for Women's History Month. And on this episode of Tease Me, we have Robin Stone. I'm really excited for you to hear from her. Robin D. Stone is a licensed mental health counselor at Positive Psychology Associates, a progressive group practice in Midtown Manhattan. After completing her undergraduate degree in journalism at Michigan State University, she enjoyed a successful career as an editor and writer at a number of newspapers and magazines. This included the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Detroit Free Press, as well as health magazines. Robin D. Stone was the founding editor-in-chief at Essence.com and former executive and deputy editor of Essence. She also served as a vice president print of the National Association of Black Journalists and the president of NABJ's New York chapter. Robin has been writing about mental health and physical health, food, nutrition, and holistic living for more than 20 years. Robin is the author of No Secrets, No Lies, How Black Families Can Heal from Sexual Abuse. She was the editor of The Black Woman's Guide to Healthy Living and My Times in Black and White, Race and Power at the New York Times. Robin is also the creator of the documentary Thick, in which black women explore self-care by engaging with the stories of their bodies. All of her training and work led Robin to who she is today, a steward for personal growth and transformation. With a master's in applied psychology from New York University and a master's in health arts and sciences from Goddard College in Vermont, Robin uses expressive arts to help clients understand how culture influences their thinking and being. By incorporating transformative language arts, narrative and creative art therapies, she supports clients coping with trauma, grief, and loss, stress, and difficult couples and family dynamics. Robin is also trained as a health coach at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She helps people on their journey. And if you haven't started, you should start now. We're in very stressful times, but honestly, all times are kind of stressful. And at least you have golf as a way to relax and a way to get your mind off of the common day-to-day things like germs. So let's talk to Robin. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. The podcast is Tease Me. And the goal is to have uh, individuals that I've encountered on the golf course or that we've had some kind of conversation revolving around golf share their story. One of the things I found amazing about you is your background. How, so for the audience that doesn't know, you are a psychologist. Tell us more about like your practice and what you're doing. Well, I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I uh, am at a private practice, a group practice in Manhattan um, called Positive Psychology Associates. And, uh, you know, we see, we see some of everybody. Um, I, my um, primary and ideal client is um, uh, women, black women uh, in particular, women of color. Um, and uh, women who are strivers, whether they're professional or they're artists, um, they're, they're up-and-comers or they're seasoned uh, in their careers and lives. Um, I, you know, I, I see uh, many women and address uh, women's issues. I also see couples. Um, and um, 
I don't know, the art, artists tend to gravitate to me. I, I integrate the arts in the work that I do. Um, so I may have a client, you know, doing some writing, some journaling, um, some more formatted writing or some visual art, drawing, painting um, to kind of work through issues that come up. Because sometimes words aren't enough or need to be amplified in some way. And so um, some of these other expressive arts approaches um, work, uh, as well as um, mind-body. And I integrate uh, mindfulness and some deep breathing work as well. Um, so it's a real holistic approach to mental wellness. Um, at the same time, I'm um, exploring uh, the opportunity to open a practice in Harlem uh, that's uh, centered on expressive arts um, and that integrates the arts in mental healing work. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I love that. I love that. I mean, I don't know if the world understands what expressive arts are. Can you share? Sure. Well, it's, it's uh, various art forms. Uh, it could be uh, writing, as I mentioned, uh, poetry or writing prose. It could be visual arts, um, uh, drawing or painting. It could be music uh, or for those who aren't musically uh, inclined, um, singing um, is, a, is a form of um, you know, music therapy. Uh, it could be movement and dance. And it can be drama as well. Um, and so there are uh, disciplines uh, where you know, professionals, are, professionals are trained in these various um, forms of uh, therapy, therapeutic support. Um, they're specially trained um, to um, support um, people who are working through issues, you know, self-discovery, uh, uh, personal growth uh, and using these various methods, um, as well as traditional talk therapy, of course. Um, but I'm I'm very excited about the possibility of integrating the arts uh, with um, you know traditional talk therapy in a space. That's amazing. And like one of the things I see as a challenge, people getting comfortable with going to therapists there's a, still a stigma around protecting our mental health and, and nourishing and, and supporting our needs, um, our emotional needs. And how do you help people get over that hurdle? I guess, how do you even get them to your door? Maybe they need to be there and don't know it. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I really commend those who do um, manage to get to the door because sometimes it's been a long journey of, you know, just just kind of exploring what's going on or coming to uh, realize, you know, that they need some kind of support. And so it's, it's, you know, often not an easy decision. Sometimes, you know, if you if it's something physical, you know, your, your elbow hurts or your, your knee, you, you know, think, oh, let me go have somebody take a look at this. But if you're struggling, if you're wondering why you struggle with interpersonal relationships, for instance, or you're having trouble kind of moving to the next level at work, or you're just feeling down um, and having a hard time just, you know, um, get, focusing or uh, connecting with people uh, or, or even finding 
uh, joy in, in, or happiness or contentment where you may have found joy uh, in the past. Those are some signs that perhaps it would be helpful to talk with someone. So, um, you know, it's, it, it is um, still, a stig- there's still a stigma around mental health, um, absolutely. And I, I like to present it as mental wellness because this is really about prevent, prevention. Um, and if you can, you know, take some time for self-care and um, taking care of your own needs, then you, you may not get to a place where you're struggling. Um, so that's how I like to um, present it and look at mental health, uh, mental health care through the lens of mental wellness. Oh, wow. This is so this is interesting. When you think about mental wellness and you think about golf, do you think that people are finding their peace on the golf course? And is that enough? Hmm. That's a, that's a, a very interesting question. And, and for me, it's um, uh, a deeply personal one. I think one of the things that really drew me to the game was the, the peace um, that I experienced with being in nature, um, with just, you know, being outdoors and golf is a, what, four, on a good day, four and a half hour (laughs) experience (laughs) on, on a, you know, a busy day where the, where the, the courses are packed, it might be five or so, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful experience to just be out, uh, walking in the grass, seeing animals. I've crossed paths with, um, deer and, groundhogs and geese and horses and cows and <laughs> some, some alligators. Oh my. <laughs> steer clear of those, but just being out and, and it kind of brought me back to um, nature um, by just kind of having that dedicated time out uh, in nature. And it was so healing being able to connect with the women in the Black Jews golf group and just having um, a, a place to go. We had a standing, I think it was Thursday, nine hole league. And so we would play in the evenings after, you know, like four o'clock um, or 530 uh, in the evenings. And uh, it was wonderful. It, you know, just gave me something to do uh, and gave, gave me a chance to connect uh, with people and with, you know, other women and, um, and to be out in nature, to have that dedicated time. And that was just really profound for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very vulnerable, vulnerable space that we enter in when we're on the golf course. You are spending a lot of time with people. And like, I wonder when people are building relationships or when you're building relationships do you ever find that the golf course is a good place to establish that? Or what have you used as a technique to get to know someone on the golf course? Well, you know, I, I, I think just relaxing, number one, because it can be unnerving, especially if you're new to the game. Um, you're kind of coming into a space, and it's often a space where other people who've been playing um, are very comfortable. There's a, you know, there's a rhythm to... Uh, playing the game and 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 I think just knowing the rules um you know that you're quiet when somebody's getting ready to to tee tee up or you're um quiet when you're at the green or you step away you know just sort of knowing those basic rules um I, I think is really important um but um 
just, you know, being open and taking your cue from the people you're playing with. If they're chatty while they're, you know, riding in the cart, then, you know, maybe it's okay to open up a little bit. But if, if they're not, you know, sharing the details of their personal life, then you just kind of enjoy the scenery and, you know, just some casual conversation. So it, it just, it depends. And I, I think you, it's really important to take your cue from the people you're playing with. So I wanted to kind of just recap how we met. Um, we were in Martha's Vineyard and we're at a friend's house. And please correct me if I say anything that is not absolutely accurate. But um, we started talking. <laughs> and do you, do you rem- remember like the conversation at the table, how we even got onto golf? I can't remember how we got onto golf. I just remember like, you know, bells going off and lights flashing when we both started talking about golf. And I was very excited to meet a fellow golfer who is as enthusiastic or more about the game than I am. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm so, and I, I'm, I'm always so enjoyed, like overjoyed when those moments occur. And we really ended up going to play during our time in Martha's Vineyard and we were at Mink Meadow Golf Course, and you start to share part of your journey. And I love just your story in general. So for the audience that doesn't know you, I want you, though, to tell your story about how has golf impacted you in your life or your career? Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a, a great question and um, one that, is, that resonates with me deeply um, because... Uh, golf um, really affected me um, personally, um, you know, when, and, and on so many levels, but um, especially personally, because I was um, introduced to the game. Um, I think I went on a, like a date with somebody. It was like a first date. And um uh, we, we went to the driving range and I had never swung a club. I had never been, you know, paid any attention to the game really. Um, and I, I swung the club like this, this guy seven iron, I think. And I hit the ball and I was like, Oh, oh my gosh, I hit the ball. And it was just that connection that um, made me, see that it was possible this 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 sport that was kind of in a distance and really not on my radar um it it made me see that it was possible so um fast forward and long that long story short um that guy is no longer in my life he's in the way in the rearview mirror <laughs> now happily married uh, to um uh, my best friend who actually loves the game loves the sport. Um, but from that point, I, I started, um, I took a few lessons at Chelsea Piers here in Manhattan and just kind of got hooked because it, it felt like it was something that I could do. And I found a black women's golf group, the Black Jewels, um, here in uh, Westchester County. Um, and I, I learned to play with them and that was so, so much fun. And, um, it, it was just a great time to connect with other black women, um, at all levels, you know, of, of, um, of play. 
and um, all person, all kinds of personalities, and just to have great, great fun. So it was, it was a wonderful experience, and I'm friends, uh, close friends with um, some of those uh, same sisters, and we still connect, and sometimes we still go out and play. Awesome, awesome. So there are some interesting tidbits that you just shared. Mm-hmm. You went on a first golf date. Now, for the ladies that are listening, what would you say, I guess, uh, let's think about this. There's ways to assess character on the golf course. What are some of the things that you were looking for in a potential meet or just even getting out there on the course? On the course, you absolutely um, get a sense of a person's character, of their temperament. Um, if they're having a, a, a bad day and they're, you know, yelling or grumbling or, you know, that can kind of uh, poison the experience for you uh, because somebody's having a, a little meltdown. Uh, then you're kind of like, well, you know, what's going on with that person? And you're having to tend perhaps to somebody else and, and you know, in their mood. Um, and that can kind of... Um, uh, mess with your mind and your game. Uh, so, so there's that. And there's also on the other end, somebody who's, who's encouraging of other players and who's mindful and, you know, who, you know, keeps it moving. They're not in the woods for 20 minutes looking for a ball, but they're mindful that there are people, you know, playing behind them and, you know, to, to just keep up and be a good sport. Golf is such a mental game. It is like, when I think about, when I go out into the course, there are a million things running through my head. Every time I putt, I like try to quiet my mind. And then sometimes even when I'm playing with certain people, I find that I can't focus and concentrate because it's a little distracting. But right, I've also right. seen some people go out into the golf course and so stressed out and considering that golf laughing, they do not look relaxed at all. Can you like share what are your thoughts in your professional opinion? on the psychology of golf and like what's happening out there to people? Why are people so stressful or stressful? Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, you, you kind of spoke to it yourself that you can get stressed out um, by playing this game and which is supposed to be relaxing. And one of the things that's really important to remember is that, um, it, it may seem pretty simple to take the club and hit the ball, but there are a lot of things that you have to think about. There's like a, a checklist that you kind of go through, but, but not rigidly. And so it's like finding that balance where you're able to kind of remember, oh yeah, I got to get my stance. I, you know, grip my club. And if you do this enough, and that's why you're encouraged to go practice, then when you get out on the course, you are able to do the checklist without really thinking, check one, check two, check three, and, um, and, and relax. And um, one thing that can really help um, your game is to uh, practice mindfulness, which is uh, being aware of what's going on um, without judgment. And that's the, the piece that can be challenging for some people because we often are really judgy when it, when, especially when it comes to ourselves and our performance. But just being aware, being present, um, doing 
deep breathing, taking a couple of deep breaths and just kind of centering yourself and like, you know, checking in with how, you know, my shoulders hunched up by my ears. Let me just take a deep breath and, you know, inhale some, some breath and imagine it flowing through my shoulders and then exhaling and, and then letting my shoulders drop. Just that kind of um, connection, that little instant connection, that mind-body awareness can be so helpful and can then allow you to just kind of get into that routine without going through the checklist. So it's, it's really important to uh, bring that mindfulness piece to the game so that you, you are able to relax. And, and also I think it's, a, it's learning to play and just being out there on the course and kind of um, exposed there to you know, other people watching you um, and what you might think is judgment is also about um, tolerating, learning to tolerate discomfort. You know, there may be some discomfort standing out there on the tee and there are four people, three people waiting for you to hit. And then there's the group behind you and everybody's watching you. And it's just kind of, you know, learning to, you know, recognize that, you know, it would be great if nobody was paying attention to me, but that might not be the case. And I can tolerate <clears throat> the discomfort <clears throat> of, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, and I can tolerate the discomfort of, they're watching me because I want to hit the ball and I want to hit it far and I want to make it go where I want it to go. So it's just kind of going through that um, mental awareness um, and, and, and understanding that where your edges are, where, yeah, I might feel a little uncomfortable, but working through that. Wow. That's so, that is, that's, it's, that is a profound statement, the judgy part. We're more judgmental of ourselves. Yes, we, we can be very judgy of, of ourselves. And, and well, you know, we, we can do a lot of work around that. Well, yeah, but here's the question. Do people recognize that? Or at what point does the, the aha moment occur where you recognize, wow, I'm really tough on myself. I have unrealistic expectations. I need to go see a therapist. Hmm. Well, sometimes um, people don't recognize that it may be um, oftentimes it's it's a breakup that leads many people into my office. Um, they're, you know, they're, you know, three weeks out or a month out of a breakup and they're, you know, trying to understand some stuff about themselves. And it may be that they've recognized a pattern you know, I see a pattern. I keep dating the same man or the same thing keeps happening. And it's that might be what leads them into uh, my office. And in the work that we do, you know, they may come, they will come to recognize if, if it's something they're doing, because it's my role as a therapist to kind of hold up a mirror so they can see and hear some of the things that they're saying. And they, you know, can recognize if they're too judgy. Um, that they're really hard on themselves. And so sometimes that's a revelation that doesn't come until somebody's in therapy and they're doing the work. And then they, you know, it's, a, it's an aha moment where they kind of see and hear from me reflecting to them, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm really hard on myself. So that's, that's kind of, that's the work that's done. But often it's, it's something, you know, like a breakup or um, somebody may fail a test 
or they may not get the job that they wanted. And then they're, you know, just thinking, I really want to talk to somebody about this. So it, it's just get, getting in the room first and then we can you know, start to unravel and untangle and try to understand where things come from and how did you learn to be the way you are. Um, there's some, a lot of powerful work that can be done. I mean, I feel like you could be doing this on the golf course as people are just playing and you could kind of be analyzing every <laughs> thing that's occurred. I mean, <laughs> that that would be something else, Latoya. To, to, I mean, I've, I've heard of um, walking therapy where a therapist will walk a track or, you know, with a with a patient. I have not heard of golf therapy. I'm sure somebody might be doing it, but that's... I feel it. like it could be you. I mean, <laughs> it's added to the, the repertoire. You have the arts, you have the music, and now you have the golf. <laughs> that would be something else. <laughs> well, it's, it, the, you know, the mindfulness piece, I think that's applicable everywhere in our lives, but we don't, we're rushing so much. We don't really take the time to pay attention to what our body is doing or what we need. So practicing that on the golf course, it, it sounds very powerful. I mean... How would you, for those that actually play, mm-hmm. how would you instruct them to have a more mindful round? Hmm. I, I would say to find um, uh, uh, a habit or a touchstone um, that you do, that you integrate into your routine so it becomes a habit. Maybe you take the deep breath, right, before you swing just to get centered, and 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 just mindful of pace of play, maybe you take that deep breath while you're waiting for your turn. <laughs> so you're not like standing there before you take a practice and you're doing some deep breathing, but you just kind of, you know, while you're waiting, just take a deep breath and get grounded and kind of feel your feet on the ground. And you may feel the breeze or um, you may do that, you know, um, exhale and let your shoulders down whatever it is where you're connecting, but you know, you know, you're waiting to play. That could be your moment. And you just kind of integrate that into your routine. Right. We're not recommending, recommending anyone do like 10 yoga poses to get. No, 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 no downward dogs on the fairway. (laughs) I mean, there's someone that's probably doing something to that effect. I I hope not, but. That's a scary thought. (laughs) So Robin, I know it's not an easy answer, but. Is there any way people can feel more comfortable when they walk into any room, whether it be the golf course, which is not really a room, or if it's just stepping into a space where you might be different than everyone else? Do you have any recommendations for the person walking into the room and any recommendations for the person that might notice that everyone else is the same except for that one individual? Hmm. Well, for the person walking into the room, I, I would say you deserve to be there. And that's that's the mindset. You should go into the room and pull up your chair at the table with that thought that you deserve to be there, um, whether, you know, through your education or your experience, whatever it is, you absolutely deserve to be there. And, and I think that's really important to keep in mind, you know, don't let every, don't let anyone um, make you feel as if you don't deserve a seat at the table and you shouldn't be there. I think it's important to recognize that others coming in may not feel that comfortable and it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to extend um, uh, a hand or 
to extend an invitation for someone to, you know, sit next to you, say this seat's empty, um, to just kind of be open. Um, that's the first step to being inclusive is to be open to people who are different. You mentioned that this space that you'll open in Harlem, because we speak these words into existence and the power of life is in our words. Um, this space is designed for the, the Harlem community but also for everyone in New York that can get to your um, facility, what are some of the things that you hope to see in the future, like five years from now at your facility? Not to force you into a large brainstorming session, but the reality is it's needed. Well, it is absolutely needed. And I hope that people will think of it as a place to come, as a space um, that's being held for them to come and find uh, peace, to find self-awareness, to find community, to find their culture, um, and to, to deepen their understanding of their own story their own heritage, um, culture, and how it affects how they show up in the world. That's what I hope uh, people will think of when they think of this space. Well, that's amazing. And what about the therapists that want to practice this type of training? How can they learn from you? How will we be able to share your practices? Will you be writing another book? Well, uh, the, the book is on the back burner right now, um, but there, there will be an opportunity for um, licensed clinicians to come and to work with individuals in this space and um, would absolutely love to explore the opportunity to do some uh, trainings, perhaps some postgraduate work. Uh, for uh, clinicians who are already licensed to learn how to deepen their understanding of various expressive arts modalities and how to integrate them into the work that they already do. Awesome. And, you know, as we close out, because uh, this has been an excellent conversation, and I wanted to speak to you because this whole podcast is about the intersection of golf and life and business. And it's a space where golf is the connector, but the reality is there's so many, there's so many amazing people and so much work being done for the, the betterment of society. And mm -hmm. the people that I've met on the golf course have been such an inspiration to me. And I want to share that with the world and share their stories as unique as they are, as beautiful and as inspiring so that others can feel inspired, one, to go out on the golf course, but then two, to be open to talking to strangers. So as we close, is there anything you want to share about talking to strangers? And is that okay? Because from a therapy perspective, I don't know if it's a healthy thing in New York if you talk to strangers, but. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. You may, you may um, not be very welcome if you're walking on the subway, walking around talking to yourself or talking to people you don't know. But I think golf, as you mentioned, golf is the, you know, the connector when you talk about um, life and business. And, you know, this, this game provides an opportunity to talk with strangers. I remember when I was first learning the game and I was so excited 
And, you know, I couldn't find people to play as much as I wanted to play. And so I would just go. Um, I would go up to Split Rock, up in the Bronx, um, or I would go to, to Pelham and I would just take my clubs. And like I say all the time, I've taken my raggedy game everywhere. Because <laughs> um, while my score isn't that low, my enthusiasm makes up for it. And I would just show up and be the single player that's put with a threesome or a twosome. And it kind of forced me to um, just kind of step out of my shell and just connect with people I didn't know. And at least for those four and a half hours, um, you're just, you know, being open and learning about other people and communicating. And I, I think it's a great experience to just be able to make those connections. And, and then you can go your separate ways or if you want to stay in touch, you can. But a lot of times it's people who are just enjoying the game just like you. Um, and so I, I think it's a great premise um, to talk to strangers, um, to just go and, to, you know, pick up a club and, and learn the game. That's, yeah, because I can't imagine talking to strangers on the subway just arbitrarily. <laughs> up to people and trying to have a that, conversation. That, that might be an interesting um, behavioral psychology uh, experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, because usually people are going to assume you're going to start dancing, singing, asking for money or telling a yep. story about something that happened once you got out the hospital. Exactly. And, and most often it's asking for money. Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> if I could sing opera, I totally would do that in the subway, but I can't. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Latoya. <laughs> I just have to stick to the golf course, but thank you so much, Robin, for your time today. This was an excellent conversation. Um, do you want to share any ways uh, or ways for people to get in contact with you if they're looking to deepen their, um, actually just come for some therapy? Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. I certainly enjoyed talking with you. You asked wonderful probing questions and I'm, you know, I'm sensing there's a journalist on the other end of this, uh, this mic. Um, but uh, people can reach me at my website. It's robinstone.com, R-O-B-I-N-S-T-O-N-E.com. And there you have it, friends, family, followers, fans, and foes. A conversation with Robin D. Stone. I think what's most important about this, as we're in the wake of the coronavirus, we're always under some imminent threat. And how we deal with stress is most important. So really take some time and think about what are your self-help self-healing, mental health practices, uh, especially if you're that person that when you hit the ball into the woods, you break your clubs. Clubs are expensive and clearly you don't have good coping strategies. Coping strategies are important. So thank you again for joining me and tease me.